1: Hi, I'm J.R. Lowry. This is Career Sessions, Career Lessons, which is brought to you by Pathwise.io. Pathwise is dedicated to helping you be the best professional you can be, providing a mix of career and leadership coaching, courses, content, and community. Basic membership is free, so visit Pathwise and join today. Today, my guest is Masango Mukwa. Masango is a seasoned executive and consultant who has dedicated his career to helping companies thrive by commercializing new technologies diversifying their product offerings, and entering new markets. After 30 plus years in leadership, Masango has applied his unique talent for identifying important leadership gaps and developing the talent and culture necessary for success. He helps solve important innovation challenges that hold organizations back by unleashing the collective creativity of their people. Masango has written and spoken on leadership, neuroscience, project management, and business. He is the author of the recently published be a Leader of Significance, and his articles have appeared in Business Today, The Journal of Creative Behavior, Crane's Cleveland Business, R&D Innovator, and Business Standard. Masango serves as the president of Hathaway Advanced Materials and has held leadership positions in R&D and operations at some of the world's most respected brands, including SC Johnson, Reichhold, Asian Paints, Avient, and PCBL. He lives in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Um, Mosango, welcome, and thanks for joining me on the show today.
2: Thank you, JR. Um, I'm really excited uh, to have a conversation with you and thanking you for uh, having me on your show.
1: Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to it as well. Let's let's dive right in. So let's start with your book, actually, Be a Leader of Significance. So why did you write the book and what's its overall message?
2: The book is really uh, about advocating for impactful leadership, Mm -hmm. uh, one that impacts uh, people's heart and mind and make a lasting difference and opens doors. That could lead to amazing results. So this came from uh, really a reflection of my journey. So I came to realize that uh, the work was never really about market share or innovation, but instead, the outcomes were the result of transformational changes uh, that really started for ground up. So the book really is to uh, inspire people to seize leadership opportunities and create moments of significance for others. So that's really what the book is about. And uh, what uh, the book includes is practices and ideas uh, that I've developed over the years that I wanted to share with the readers uh, to help them on their own uh, leadership uh, journey. They'll find in the book many stories. And then at the end of each chapter, there are a number of uh, actions that uh, they could uh, take today. So that's really what the book is about.
1: Was the title uh, your idea or did somebody in the publishing chain come up with it?
2: No, no, no. The title the title was, was my idea because I wanted to put uh, emphasis on significance. So that's right. really... Uh, because uh, JR, what I've realized is that uh, when I meet uh, many of the managers who work with me over the years and we are talking about our time together and so on, they never seem to talk about the amount of revenues or market share or, uh, or we have improved productivity. But right. we always talk about the experience that they went through while working with me or... While engaging on some uh, development of manufacturing uh, project and so on, so the work was not really about uh, improving the share, <laughs> the share price, huh? but really right. is, is that experience. That's why I chose that title of uh, to be a leader of, of significance.
1: In your view, what distinguishes a leader of significance from other leaders?
2: First of all, let's look at what that uh, significance. And uh, let's pause for a moment. Well, one thing that makes our life worth living. Is really a feeling of significance. Some of our most uh, treasured memories are really the times where, uh, in my case, I shared something and in doing so, it made me feel special. It made me feel needed. It made me feel valued. And I bet for some of the people out there are feeling the same. So the amount of significance that you feel and uh, how you feel that need has a major effect uh, on how we view and work towards our life purpose so fulfilling the need of significance is, is i would say essential uh, to achieving mental and emotional health so you work for a coo and uh, this fellow <laughs> just, just to uh to contrast that with the transaction leadership so early in my career i was the head of uh, a big department and i was uh reporting to this uh, chief operating officer so i went to see him hoping to discuss uh what will be his expectation for the job will be and then what he was looking forward and so on. And then he answered me like this. He said, for me, the rule is simple. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. So you cannot find really transactional like that right. one. So which is really in many ways that what many leaders do. Right? They tend to focus on the, on the deliverable. They tend to focus on the project and so on. No, not realizing actually that if you touch the, heart and the mind of the people, and you create those opportunity for them to really feel significant, you can actually achieve beyond expectation.
1: Yeah, it's very true. I think there is something that comes from that deeper relationship that you have with anybody, right? Not just a, a leader that is built on trust, is built on respect, is built on caring, ultimately. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. And you're absolutely right. Because at the end of the day, what uh, what employees, they, they, they are looking for, they want to feel that sense of belonging. Hmm. And I remember uh, early in my career, I was working with this group of scientists and one of them by the coffee machine, I asked him, I said, uh, uh, could you tell me what do you enjoy about this place? Uh, And so So I thought he was going to tell me, oh, we have this uh, great chemistries, uh, you're giving us a great project and so on and so on. No, what he told me is that what I enjoy here is that during lunchtime, I could play ping pong because that gives me an opportunity to meet with John, to meet with Steve, we can share ideas and whatnot. So belonging, the sense of affiliation was extremely important.
1: That sense of belonging is really important. I mean, ultimately, I mean, you've used the words belonging and valued and we all go to work, I think, wanting to feel like we're contributing to something bigger than ourselves. And if we're not transactional about it, and part of that, I think, is really deeply tied to a sense that you belong to something bigger, right? And that your contributions to that something bigger are valued. And without that, it does get to be kind of a—it's just a job.
2: Yes, 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 true, and you're absolutely right because because we want to belong to groups that will reflect who we are at our core, right? and so we, that uh, to belong to something that invite our participation, that that gives us room to to be ourselves. And I think uh, that a sense of belonging maybe the ultimate way to motivate and bring the best out of it. So that's one element. But the other one, JR, that is also people looking for, is that psychological safety. I remember there was uh, this marketing employee. She got transferred into my group. She was telling me that uh, while she was in the marketing department, uh, in the beginning, her boss used to come to her and say, how great of a job she was doing, Uh, the project was moving well, and so on. But over time... She began to hear some rumors that she was not performing to expectation, that she was not being invited to meetings and so on. And then I did ask her uh, when she joined my group, I said, well, did you go to your supervisor or to your boss? And then ask why that was the case. She said, no, I did not go because I did not feel safe going there and even raise that question. I felt invisible. So that place there were people actually they can even at the minimum raise their concerns or something that is bottom there, it's extremely important for them to be in that kind of environment.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's hard to feel a sense of belonging or hard to feel valued if you don't even feel like you can speak the truth, raise your concerns, express an opinion. And clearly the example that you gave is also in the book is it a perfect example of when somebody just destroys psychological safety for an individual. And ultimately it kind of undercut her confidence and she needed to move into a different situation to get that back. And I think you said she went on to a very successful career. So yeah, she needed that change. You're going to change topics and talk a little bit about energy. Energy was a key theme. You use that word a lot throughout the book. How would you define energy in the way that you were intending it in the book?
2: Yeah, the energy is really uh, looking for those uh, enlivening events, Uh, looking for uh, one individual they felt the most alive. That's really what I'm talking about. So you can look at it at the level of individuals and you can also look at it at the level of the organization. So right. at the level of individuals, what you're looking for is, uh, as I mentioned, to looking for those enlivening uh, events for the individuals. So you, you can get it from stories and uh, from, from stories of the people. So one exercise that I did in a couple of uh, organizations was uh, to uh, pair employees. So. The exercise actually was a very simple one. So you put the employees in in pairs and you ask each one of them to interview the other person. But then really the question that I told them to do is uh, to ask the question about the times when the other person felt most alive at work. And then at the end of that uh, uh, interviewing session, they will come back and then relate the story. So this was a powerful exercise. And in the book, I'm giving a, a story of a gentleman called uh, Mr. Lee. Mr. Lee was an older gentleman, and this is a chemical uh, companies that we're talking about here. And uh, there was a process there that in manufacturing that everybody was using. uh, Actually, Mr. Lee was the one who improved that process. So as uh, this uh, individual was relating the story to all of us, he said that uh, early in his career, the process uh, was not working well. The cycle time was too high, Productivity was very low. And then the people in manufacturing, they called on Mr. Lee to come and then have them solve the problem. The fact that they initiated that call to Mr. Lee, that was extremely energizing for him. So yeah. he went there uh, improved, uh the process and he shared with us that the most enjoyable part of that activity was the fact that they asked him to come and uh, help solve the problem. Now the interviewer, as he was, relating the story, say that uh, as uh, Mr. Lee was telling the story, that he could see that Mr. Lee was really coming alive. So what that means that once we identify those enlivening moments in the life of employee and we can put them in those situations, that's when those individuals come alive and they can then give the most to the organization. That was for for the individual. Now, okay. for the company, you want to ask the same type of question. You want to know what is uh, bringing really the you know the organization to life? Uh, so for that same thing, except here that you will have to ask uh, a group of uh, employee at various level of the organization and trying to discover those stories uh, that really that has given energy to the organization. So what is it here in this organization, for example, that really bringing energy into the organization? So this is something that one can do and then from there you can then see from the responses of employees you can see a number of patterns and this is uh, in the book i'm relating one example in one of the companies and what some of the employees they suggest is for example is that my ideas matter not the my position freedom is essential it's good to be appreciated and recognized and then from there then you can distill this into what we call life giving forces And then in that particular company, what they're saying is is like emotional connection was important, uh, passion to succeed, belief in self and others. Some of those life-giving forces may be existent in the organization, but some may be aspiration. So once you know that, then you can now craft processes and system in place and activities to really try to address some of those life-giving forces for the organization. So this is how you... You really bring that energy forward.
1: And on the flip side, what are the things that you've seen people do other than the example you gave a minute ago around psychological safety? What are some of the things that you've seen leaders do that just suck the energy right out of the organization?
2: I think as leaders, we we sometimes miss many opportunities, actually, because uh, there are so many junctures during the day where we meet people at a coffee shop, uh, in meetings, and so on. Uh, You can say, you can greet people, how are you doing? And then you walk away. That means I'm greeting you, but really, I don't want to know more. <laughs> right. So you could uh, sometimes introduce people somewhat uh, in a very uh, dismissive uh, way. So, so that also sometimes saves the energy. Or you could come to an individual and say, how are we doing in the project? Because you as a leader, you're interested whether we're meeting our milestones or not. When in fact, you could ask the individual, what are some of the bright spots here? Is there any good surprises here? You know, what you think you should do more? Uh, this one brings some energy because it puts the employee somewhat uh, into a reflective mode. And, and I find that works actually uh, quite well.
1: Now, for the leader to do this, I mean, apart from not just sort of being too transactional during the course of the day, you know, asking how somebody's doing quickly and walking away in your example from a minute ago. But the leader's got to have their own energy, too, and they've got to make sure that they develop their own energy that they preserve their own energy in your experience how did you do that so that you were able to consistently provide some of that energy out to people individually in the organization or to the organization as a whole
2: this is a great question because uh, i've often said that uh, the leader has to be the energy in chief. so which means that the leader also has to create that dose of energy and sometimes you need to give yourself also that energy but i think uh, that energy really comes down to if the leader has a sense of uh, what really is driving him, because that becomes your compass. That becomes what every day when you're getting up, that is your engine. That's what keeps you going. Because actually the leadership is, is a journey. Huh? And throughout that journey, the leader is going through that process of discovering himself and uh, discovering his purpose. And then as you are beginning to live that purpose and you're getting fulfillment, then you're also generating energy. Then you have a sense of uh, being uh, significant. Then you're beginning to recognize the significance in others as well.
1: Okay, we've talked a lot about energy. I don't know whether we've confirmed or refuted the first law of thermodynamics, but we can move on to something else at this point. (laughs) Curiosity was another topic that came up throughout the book. And you describe yourself as a, a curious person. It certainly showed just in the narrative of the book. What fuels your curiosity?
2: I think some of it, JR, is coming also for my own upbringing. We have uh, traveled uh, a great deal around the world. <laughs> so that has created uh, a great deal of flexibility and uh, adaptability, because then you begin to appreciate uh, other places, other culture, I was born in the Congo, and then we live partly in Belgium and then in the Congo. And then uh, from there, uh, even within Africa, we have traveled in some places. So in Europe, we, we have traveled a great deal. Even when we were younger, my father always helped us to be curious, taking us to museum, exposing us to things, always encouraging us to go and see places. So that, <laughs> to quote him, he always say, you have to go out there and see places. So right. that always fuel my energy, but because of that, I've developed that curiosity about about many things, and also curiosity about people. Because as a student, really, uh, I came across uh, students from <laughs> virtually around the world, huh? from Iraq, from Iran, from uh, Colombia, Chile, and what some of them I'm still in touch even today after 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 so many years, you know, more than forty years. So then you begin to appreciate, and you want to learn more. And I think that has helped me also uh, as a leader because I believe that even to develop that trust with others, you need to have that persistent curiosity, you know? When you're looking at the people, you want to look at them with generosity. You want to look at them as a person with soul, you know? So I think that's where probably uh, that curiosity has come from.
1: Do you think curiosity, when a leader's got curiosity, can their curiosity be contagious in the organization?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Curiosity or passion, all of these are contagious. Because if the leader is curious, then you expose other people. For example, one of the activities that I've done over the years, which I thought uh, really uh, those who are working uh, with me, was like uh, when we have the Friday meeting, weekly meeting, I would consciously decide not to discuss projects, uh, but to pick up an article, a current event, or an article leadership or uh, whatever, and then share it to the group and then have a discussion. So that also uh, spur a little Mm. bit of curiosity to others. And then as time went on, now some of the managers also began to bring uh, something that that it will be worthwhile to discuss. I will decide, I will offer uh, them uh, a book, and then I'll tell them, why don't you guys read this book in one month? Let's discuss this. In the beginning, uh, they will be maybe reluctant, But over time, then they began to appreciate this, and some of them have (laughs) continued doing this practice uh, in their own uh, jobs in different companies. Yeah, it is, it is, yeah. Because when you're curious, you're beginning to to ask questions. As you are learning, you're also sharing your learning with other people, and uh, in turn, they can feed now off of what you're telling them. They may even go now and research more, come back, and you can then have a conversation with others.
1: I know you like to meet as many people as you can when you join an organization. What are some of your favorite questions in those introductory conversations with people?
2: When I meet with them uh, and I'm agreeing with them, I will ask them, uh, what are you from? What brought you here? Uh, because right. people come from various uh, areas and whatnot. And then if they said, uh, oh, I'm from Chapel Hill. So, oh, as a matter of fact, uh, I've lived in Hill, you Hill. Know? And then what did you go and uh, whatnot? And then we begin to have a conversation then. They might talk about, about their family, uh, and whatnot. And, and then, uh, might ask, Oh, how is your father? And so on. So these are the types of conversation that we have. Uh, so those small conversation outside the project related, I think, uh, right. I think it helps, uh, building that connection with others. Eh? So that's really what, what, what it is there.
1: How is your memory for those conversations? Mine is terrible.
2: (laughs) Well, for some of them, I remember. That's why uh, I I put them in in the book. eh? So for for some of those conversations, like the conversation I told you earlier of that fellow who said he enjoyed ping pong, uh, that stuck on me uh, after uh, more than 40 years. So uh, yeah, some of those conversations will remain there because then you can build off of that. eh? You can build off of those conversations. And then you share a little bit about yourself as well in those casual conversation, and then it goes that way. Huh? For leader also to build, build that trust, the leader has to be visible, right? So you're yes. not going to build that by locking yourself in your office. You have to be visible, you have to be present, and you have to come across genuine.
1: Huh? I know you like to get people in reflective mode when you're sort of checking in on them personally. How do you kind of get them thinking about how things are really going?
2: You do that by uh, the way you phrase question huh you could ask uh, hey uh, how is the project going uh, have we made that milestone yet or a good question could, could be uh, how did you do uh, what is it like can you tell me more uh, then in that case then people beginning to reflect more mm. and then you can learn more that way and then there'll be more uh, more open into into sharing more if they are having difficulty and what you're not asking them yeah, hey, what what trouble are you having? But but right. but as the questioning, it's forcing them to reflect, to reflect upon their own their own actions, but also sharing with you uh, successes or things for which they're getting greater pleasure and so on.
1: Yeah, I mean certainly, I mean, be good if you could get people comfortable answering a question of how are you feeling today, right? Or how are you feeling about X or Y, and having them really answer it. It takes asking it. I think you, know, you get a superficial answer, but the more you ask it, I think it, you start to get a deeper answer from people as you build that trust and comfort that you're going to take whatever they say in the right spirit.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. And it's incremental. Huh? You you start little yes. by little and, and then you get there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Transformations, you're talking about in the book, I know it's been a big part of your career and your leadership journey. When you think back on the transformations that you've been part of, what do you think have been the biggest keys to success in them?
2: Key uh, success that has been is uh, to get the transformation from ground up, uh, to go with the idea that you are trusting employees uh, for them to identify and lead that transformation. So what do I mean by that? For example, if you come and you feel the organization needs to transform or to be disrupted, trust employees for them to come and suggest what we need to do uh, so that we, things can be better. And I gave some example in the book where I had a group of uh, employees. I said, well, let's have uh, not the senior manager, but let's have uh, those in the middle. And I tasked them to look at the organization. What are those areas that they feel either needs to be improved or needs to be changed and so on and come with a proposal that brought tremendous energy in that group of uh, middle manager. And they came with a, uh, great uh, recommendations so you have to take it from ground up transforming by top down that will never work you'll never be able to carry at least the majority of the people
1: yeah there's a heavy sense of empowerment in the way you're describing this, oh, yeah. that absolutely
2: and then that's where those employees they will feel that they are significant huh so uh so that they will feel that sense of empowering uh, a sense of that they are contributing to something that is big yeah huh? so that's absolutely.
1: And does that translate in the way that you think about leading an organization into a flatter structure? Does it translate into sort of self-managed teams and things like that?
2: Well, in all those cases, they led to organization somewhat of a flatter structure. I mean, that came from the recommendation of those uh, employees. That's really what it came up with. Uh, That it also resulted in changes, perhaps in some policies. It came into uh, looking at uh, some activities that could have been de-energizing. It led uh, to uh, rearranging uh, the way projects were being uh, resourced. Uh, So all of that. In fact, there is no single result. eh? In some cases, I had a flat organization. In other cases, I had uh, a hybrid uh, type of structure. So we did experiment. eh? We did experiment as well.
1: What are the big areas in the transformations that you've been part of that have been, other than the technical challenges, what areas have been the most difficult to work through?
2: area that has been the most difficult to work with is that uh, as you are trying to transform the organization, you also need to lay out the vision and the vision for the organization. So I think that is something because you you build the trust, you energize the individual, you organize the organization, but you also need to have that great vision. Eh? So I think that has been one area that I would say that transformation has to be associated with with a vision for the organization.
1: I want to get to your career journey, but is there anything else from the book that you want us to take away before we change gears?
2: Well, I mean, the other part is obviously, uh, as uh, one thing I would say is that leadership is not the solo venture. It's right. really about uh, how far we progress. It's not about how far we progress, but how far we help uh, others progress. So for that, that means that uh you need to develop others. Uh, you need to create opportunity for others because those elements also brings that uh, level of uh, significance eh, for for individuals as well.
1: Yeah. Well, as they say, there's no I in team. There's also no I in leadership. Yeah, absolutely. So go back to the beginning of your career journey. When you first finished school, what did you envision yourself doing? What was your first job? How did you end up in that job?
2: <laughs> yeah, I, actually, uh, JR, when I finished my PhD, I got the research fellowship to work at Northwestern University uh, near Chicago, Illinois. So I came really into this uh, leadership uh, by accident, uh, at JR. So I just finished my PhD and I've taken this job with a specialty uh, chemical company. I was excited to be part of uh, the research and development looking forward to developing great products, IP. Right. But then not long after I started, the vice president of R&D called me in one-on-one meeting, and uh, he told me, "Say, well, uh, Mosongo would like uh, for you to be a manager. We don't have a research uh, group here, so uh, spoken to your colleagues. They think you'll be the right fit for this role. So I was a bit uh, caught off guard, so I told him, I said, hey, uh, listen, uh, I've never managed anybody, and so on. So he replied to me, say, no, uh, you'll be fine. So all of a sudden, I was a brand new manager with no managerial experience and I have to figure things out by myself. So some people uh, helped me uh, along the way, but uh, more or less, I was on my own.
1: How long had you been in the company when you were thrust into that position?
2: Uh, That was uh, one month. One month. Wow. One month. One month. So I was there fresh. So one month.
1: (laughs) Yeah. If your colleagues were backing you, you must have made... Quite a first impression.
2: Yes, 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 yes. But I was a bit scared, eh, I must say. I was of not course. Scared, actually, because I was uh, actually taken uh, back. And then we were there. So I was successful uh, in building uh, building that research uh, organization. So one year passed, two years passed, then eventually uh, that developed into a long and uh, very interesting uh, career. But what yeah. crystallized the life for me, uh, JR is that, uh, and hopefully for the listener out there, is the thought that uh, growth and comfort they cannot exist. Eh? I think because I was put in that uh, somewhat of an uncomfortable position that allowed me to grow actually, and then uh, that uh, crystallization actually made it easier for me to take on uh, risky, uh, risky changes uh, in different uh, jobs that some of which were were real difficult. That's how I started my career. But the other one also I learned during that period is that when I started that job, I faced actually a choice to do what the leaders around me were doing or to do what I felt best for people and then people I was leading and for the organization. Mm-hmm. So that's really how I started my career. And then once I finished there, so we built a group and then we were successful. They gave me a other assignment. Then eventually from there, I got the senior position at global companies, managing groups not only in the US, but overseas. So I manage the groups uh, based in Mexico, groups in uh, Austria, groups in Brazil, groups in the Netherlands. And then from there, I got an assignment to go to India. Uh, then I came back and then I had another assignment to India and so on. And then uh, today, uh, I'm a president of a company called uh, Hathaway Advanced uh, Materials, uh, which is uh, a specialty uh, chemical company. who make uh, some specialty uh, polymer called Police so that's all. It. And throughout all this, uh, I never regretted being in the leadership uh, role.
1: <laughs> you've mentioned all the places that you've lived, and I know you've worked in a number of places across the United States as well, and managed teams in different parts of the world. How has having such a multicultural perspective helped you as a leader?
2: Well, I think it helped me to realize actually that uh, the human beings we are all the same. <laughs> so there is a commonality in human beings. There is a commonality there because everybody's yearning for that human connection, whether you are Mexican, whether you are Austrian. So that helped me because it allowed me in many of those places to be able to connect with all those team members, and regardless uh, whether it's in India, whether it's in Austria, whether people in Brazil. Actually, I just got an email from uh, one of my former managers uh, from Brazilia just uh, last week. I think that allowed me to be able to weave my way around eh, those uh, multicultural uh, tapestry, if you will.
1: Along the way, I got the impression that you also, you know, you were recruited for certain of these positions that you've taken. Did did you do a lot to actively cultivate relationships with the search firms that work in your industry?
2: Yeah, yeah. When I was uh, actually the assignment, I got uh, to go to India, where they asked me to go there and uh, build R and D organization that is uh, in. Innovative and so on. That one came through, uh, head on. Actually, I was looking for uh, an opportunity for a role, uh, uh, in China. Those days, uh, you know, China right. was a company. So I was intrigued and I was saying, oh, it would be good to go there and, and work there for a while. But there are no assignments. So the recruiter keeps telling me, no, I'm not getting anything, but I have this uh, opportunity in India and so on. So I told him, well, I wasn't really sure. I was looking for something in China. And then he said, well, why don't you look at it? Uh, so that's how it came. But one of the recruiter also, uh, uh, prior to that told me, he said that when I'm, when he was looking at my career, he realized that I was very good in building organization. That's what he mm-hmm. said, which, which is something at that time I did not actually fully realize huh, or internalize. So that also helped me. And then, uh, and then some of those opportunities actually came, uh, came uh, through, uh, those headhunters. Yes.
1: Yeah, and it's always interesting when they sort of play back to you how you come across to them, right? I mean, you can sort of take or leave what they say, but at the end of the day, they're forming opinions on people all the time through their resume or through their network of referrals or through the discussions they may have with them directly. And they have a lot of influence. So I think it pays to pay attention to what they're saying and how they think about you and maybe things you don't see in yourself. Very much so. When you think back on the different stops that you've made so far in your career, would you say that you've been more opportunistic or more intentional about it?
2: Well, some of them were opportunistic. Some of them were intentional. When I made my first move, that one was intentional in the sense that I felt that I needed to be involved with other industries, uh, with other chemicals. That opportunity came and I took it as a vice president for one company there who were making uh, chemicals for the printing uh, industry that was there. The opportunity going to India, that one was more opportunistic because uh, it's not something I was planning to do. And then I said, let's give it a try. If it doesn't work, then we'll just try to come back uh, to the US. But it turned out that actually it was a great experience there,
1: very fulfilling. Yeah. Did your family enjoy the time over there?
2: Yes, yes, yes. At that time, uh, my wife came there for a short while. All my children came to visit there because they were adult children. So <laughs> they came there and, and that gave us an opportunity to travel around together, visit the country.
1: Throughout all of this, what have been the consistent strengths that you've drawn on in your career?
2: Well, I think uh, throughout this, what I've drawn upon is a great deal of resilience, drawn upon mental uh, flexibility, mental mm-hmm. agility, if one can put it that way. I've drawn upon uh, the focus huh, to continue to drive, not to give up the first uh, obstacle so i think probably those are three things i would uh, i I would cite there.
1: storytelling is a big part of the book would you consider yourself a strong storyteller
2: yes i I think so because i've realized that when you're telling story actually when you are telling a story the story is like in a way a mirror a mirror of, of other people so when you're telling a story Or when somebody else is telling the story, you could have a a mirror of really are. So some of the stories that really uh, uh, left an impact on me, those are the ones that uh, that I put in the book. Uh, My hope is that uh, that could uh, inspire others who are reading the book there so they can relate and perhaps uh, use some of those ideas. But at least they could understand the meaning uh, behind some of the ideas that
1: I put out there. What are some of the leadership traits that you really had to work at developing over the years?
2: Well, at the beginning of my career, one area that I have to work on, particularly when I was given that first assignment, was right. the area of giving feedback. So I was extremely reluctant uh, once I was given that job to give feedback. Uh, I was very good, and uh, and the people in my team, they appreciate that in terms of energizing them, getting them excited about the project. But I was very reluctant in giving feedback. And then uh, when I began to realize that, and some of my colleagues actually brought that to my attention as well, then I began to realize it was really affecting uh, the way group was uh, being viewed, the way I was being viewed, but uh, also the way the group was being viewed. That's where I decided to begin to uh, calibrate. I did not at that time get any uh, formal training on how to give feedback. So I more or less <laughs> learned it on my own, because yeah. initially, when you're giving feedback, I would tend to attack the individual. Hey, why are you not doing this? And let's not be lazy. And when, in fact, that was the wrong way of uh, giving feedback. Right. So I began to learn that, no, you have to attack the situation, not the individual. So mm-hmm. that was the beginning of my career. And when I quickly realized that, then uh, everything else fell in place. Uh, actually, employees, they look for feedback. Yeah? They're not very appreciative when you give giving feedback.
1: Yeah, it goes back to feeling valued, right? What or who in- inspires you?
2: Well, uh, there are a number of people here. The person who inspired me, uh, first of all, is my father. The reason I'm saying that is because uh, he lost his father, meaning my grandfather, at the age of eight. So despite that, and they were like a 10 children. So they had to fend for themselves. It was really uh, hard for them. The, and he worked very hard to put himself into schooling and then learn and so on. And then eventually he made something of himself. He got some good position, which allow us uh, turn to be sent to good schools and so on. So what I see there, it's a person who was uh, extremely uh, dedicated in improving himself right? and pursuing a goal despite uh, the many challenges that he had at that time. So that's uh, one person. The other one as a leader, I would say, is, is uh, Nelson Mandela. Not the Nelson Mandela that we know as a politician, but really as an individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sure you know the movie uh, Invictus. huh? Uh, yes. The Invectors was written by uh, William Henley. Those are the words of inspiration and, and motivation. And then they made a movie. Now, when you look at that movie, we know the context, apartheid, and so on. But really, when you look at that movie, you will see that the way they portray... Uh, Nelson Mandela. There is a, a leader with a extremely high emotional quotient, huh? yes. Uh, emotional self-awareness, you know, interpersonal uh, relationship, empathy, you know, all those elements. Reality testing, flexibility, listening, assertiveness. So when I looked at that movie under that angle, I really uh, appreciated. I uh, got the sense of the individual who this man really was. Huh? Uh, so for that, I would say certainly is one of those uh, that will come on top of the mind.
1: What's ahead for you over the next few years of your career?
2: Well, uh, I'm involved uh, as a president for Attaway Advanced Materials. One of the objectives that we have here is that, uh, is that uh, this, uh, this is somewhat of a startup company. Me and the chairman of the company uh, were involved in raising uh, capital. So that's what it is. Uh, so we are producing materials we are selling but we think we can uh, make uh, a bigger impact if we could have uh, some injection of capital uh, to have really to scale up the technology much further than we have done so far
1: you talk about legacy in the book where does legacy factor into how you're thinking about things what legacy are you focused on leaving
2: well i mean the legacy that uh, well i would like to be remembered as someone who made a difference in people's lives by believing in them and helping them uh, uncover and cover uh, and liberate Who they truly are. So I I think uh, that understanding, I've come to articulate what really drives me. That's really the reason why uh, I also do uh, some coaching uh, as uh, of Mm -hmm. uh, some of the the people. Uh, So it it feels uh, more directly aligned with the why uh, uh, than
1: being an entrepreneur or uh, being a senior leader. Any last thoughts or advice you want our audience to take away?
2: Well, the advice that I will tell the manager, I think, uh, uh, try to uh, during your uh, journey uh, go to the process of uh, discovering yourself because then you can really understand who you are, and then it can only uh, it will give you a sense of of purpose. Your know, leadership uh, activities. We have to remember uh, in the ancient Greek uh, the priest at uh, temple of Apollo at Delphi they had this big sign, eh? know thyself. Uh, leader. you have to go through that process. For those who are starting in their leadership role, I would say start by uh, uh, reflecting upon uh, events or books, uh, things that really uh, had impact on you. And then uh, you will you will start then uh, discovering some themes out there. And for those who are somewhat senior, I would say uh, begin to think of uh, writing your own eulogy. How would you like to be remembered? Uh, because I, I think once you have that, then as a senior leader, it will really help you uh, in terms of even strengthening or living uh,
1: your legacy. That's very true, It's very true. How do you practice reflection?
2: One thing I read a lot. So mm-hmm. uh, I have a book here, that uh, notebook that uh, I write some thoughts. Uh, recently, I've been uh, uh, reading a lot about uh, stoicism. And then, and then I'm looking at it by reflecting upon my own life eh? to see mm-hmm. those instances where uh, some of those lessons could have been applied or things that I've done actually could have been called stoic and so on so that's how that's how I do that's how okay I
1: do. all right well thanks for doing this with me today I appreciate it
2: oh jr thank you for uh having me on your show uh, Absolutely. It was a great conversation
1: I enjoyed it as well you have a good rest of your day
2: thank you huh? and uh, you take care
1: I want to thank Masango for joining me today to cover his recently published book, Be a Leader of Significance, his own career journey and what he's learned along the way. If you're looking to be a leader of significance or just a better professional, visit pathwise.io. And if you'd like more regular career insights, you can become a member. It's free. You can also sign up on our website for the newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Thanks. Have a great day.
0: Thank you for listening to Career Sessions, Career Lessons. We hope the nuggets of wisdom shared today help guide your path to the successful career of your dreams. This podcast series is part of PathWise.io, which is here to help you live the career you want. We provide a comprehensive mix of career and professional development events, insights, tools, and exercises backed by a group of leading coaches and other career management experts. If you aspire to something more or just something different in your career, join us at Pathwise.io. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. See you again on the next episode.